Welcome to Westport Road Baptist Church. We're delighted that you've joined us for today's message. Westport Road Baptist Church is located at the corner of Hurstbourne Lane and Westport Road in Louisville, Kentucky. If you have a Bible, please have it handy and prepare your hearts and minds as we enter God's Word. Hey, we've been talking about grace and grace winning every time. We're over in Galatians chapter 4, if you want to turn over to that. Galatians chapter 4. I know most of you have been following uh, the relationship of Kylie Jenner and Tyga, right? Yeah, well, if you all know, Kylie turned 19 this week, and Tyga bought her a $200,000 Mercedes. Got a picture of it right here. Uh, Now, that's a pretty good birthday present. Who thinks so? Yeah, here's the problem. Tyga doesn't have any money, okay? As a matter of fact, He's under an arrest warrant for being $500,000 behind in his house payments. He's been kicked out of the house. He's probably going to go to jail. And the car he bought her wasn't paid for at all. It was on a one-day lease that he bought her. Now, he's done this once before. When Kylie turned 18, he bought her a $300,000 Ferrari on a one-day lease. And she had to buy the car herself the next day if she wanted to keep it or not. So it looks good, it sounds good, but it really doesn't mean anything in the long run. It just doesn't quite stack up. Now, I tell you that because in our scripture, that's what Paul is arguing about grace and the law. He says, when it comes to the law, it looks good. Everybody gets excited, follow these rules, do these things. You'll be right before God. Everybody will be happy. You'll be a good person. But then we find the more we try to be good, the more we keep messing up. And it doesn't end up that way at all. What looks so good on the outside really wasn't worth nothing when you began to look at it. So let's look over into Galatians chapter 4. We've already uh, been going through, talking about it. The book of Galatians was written to a region, not a city or a church. Galatia was a region in what is today northern Turkey. Uh, And really the main issue, there's one main issue that the whole book is about, and that is how are you saved? Paul said you're saved by grace through faith alone. And there was a group of people, some very conservative Jews in the church, who were saying, no, you're saved by Jesus and grace, but you also have to follow all of the Jewish laws and regulations. And so that's been the whole argument so far. And what Paul has done chapter after chapter is showing that if you're depending upon the law to be good or be in a right relationship with God, you're always going to end up short, and you're always going to feel guilty. So let's look into chapter 4 now and see what Paul has to say. And the first thing he says in verses 1 through 7 is this. God's grace has redeemed us from slaves to becoming God's children. We've been redeemed from slaves to becoming God's children. Look at verses 1 and 2. What I'm saying is this, that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave although he may own the whole estate. He's subject to guardians and trustees until the time set forward by his father. Now he's talking about a child here who's under a trust. His father may have passed away. He owns the entire estate. He might be a multimillionaire. But according to Roman law, you couldn't inherit anything until you were 14 years of age. So he's under a guardian. He has to do whatever the guardian tells him. Uh, He can't just go off and spend his money or something like that. And then when he turns 14, he's under another kind of guardian until he turns 25 when everything is turned over to him. 
Now look at verse 3. After making that kind of point about Roman guardianship, Paul says, So also when we were children, we were in slavery to the basic principles of the world. So what he's saying here is just as a child has a guardian, even though he may be the heir of the whole estate, that before Jesus came, we were in the same situation. That even though we may be heirs of everything that is God's, we were more like children under a slave because we had to follow laws and regulations. And at the end of verse 3, what he said, the basic principles of the world. Now, what are the basic principles of the world? What are the things we fight against and that, that are, uh, uh, we're, we're constantly struggling against? Things like greed and sex and power and influence and material possessions. All of those kinds of things that we battle with all the time. So there was a time in your life, Paul says, where those things were front and center. And you were constantly fighting that struggle. Uh, you know, I, I'm, being le- I'm being tempted here by greed. I'm tempted here by lying or anger or sex or whatever. And these basic principles of the world are pulling me back and pulling me down. And I'm constantly trying to defeat them and be good enough to be in a right relationship with God. He says that kind of life is slavery. All you were doing is you are a slave to the basic principles of the world. And there's no way off of this will. You're like the the proverbial rat on the wheel, just running around in circles, constantly trying to be good. Then you're messing up. Then you're going back to God and asking to be forgiven, and you start the whole process all over again. Verse 4. But when the time had finally come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law, that we might receive the full rights of sons. Now, in 5 through 7, Paul says Jesus does three things that the law can't do for us. The first thing we're told that Jesus does that the law can't do is that he redeems us. He redeems us. Now, what's it mean to be redeemed? Again, that's a big theological term. But redeemed means to to buy something back, you're exchanging one thing for another thing. Have you ever said, okay, you know, I've got my coupon here and it's good for a Coke and a hot dog at the ball game or something like that. I'm going to redeem that for a Coke and a ball game. We're told what Jesus did was that he redeemed us. So in other words, we were in slavery to the law of sin and death. We were going to go to hell because of the things that we were doing. But Jesus died in our place, took our sins upon him, and now we have been set free from those things that were burdening us. Now, there can be nothing greater in the world to think of all my problems, all the times I've failed, all the times I've done wrong. I am totally forgiven. They have all been put upon Jesus. I have been redeemed. Now, that's unbelievable news when you hear that. I've been redeemed. But it gets better. Not only have we been redeemed, he goes on, keep reading in verse 6. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your heart, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. It's one thing to be redeemed. Okay, you were lost in your sins. You are now forgiven and saved through Jesus. But it's more than that. You've been more than redeemed. You've now been made God's child. In other words, he said God's spirit comes into you. You now literally have God's DNA on the day you accepted Christ. His spirit is now within you. And it gives you the spirit that causes you to cry out, Abba, Father. Now we've talked before, the word Abba means daddy. It doesn't mean father. It means daddy. It was the word that a young child used for their male parent. So he's saying, now you've gone from a relationship where you're praying to God, God, I'm a bad person. Forgive me of all these terrible things I've done to now you're crying out, daddy, I'm home. Do you see the difference between 
God the Father and Daddy, but it's the new relationship we now have in God because he has redeemed us. We have become his children, and now as his children, it gets even better. Look at verse 7. So you're no longer a slave, you're a child, and if you're a child, then you are an heir of God's. So we've gone from being sinners who've been redeemed to becoming children of God to becoming heirs of everything that is God's. Now, you can't get any better than that. Now, Paul's argument is this. Does the law do any of those things for you? Now, last week, what he did was he told us the purpose of the law. He said the law is not something bad. The law shows us what is good and bad. The law shows us what is right and wrong, and we need to know that. If you're going to live the best life, then you need to know what's good and bad out there, what's right and what's wrong. The law shows you that. The law doesn't make you good or bad, and the law doesn't make you right or wrong. Only Jesus can do that. So if we're trying to use the law to be good, you're going to keep messing up, and what you're doing to be good is actually making you see how guilty you are. So the law is doing nothing if we're using it for righteousness. It's only showing us right, wrong, good, and bad. Jesus is the one that redeems us, makes us God's child, and makes us an heir of God's kingdom. Now, probably, I'm sure most of you don't know if you don't keep up with stuff, but the Olympics have been on the last week. Anybody know that? Yeah. Yeah, and there's some Olympian, some guy won a few medals. Uh, anybody remember his name? Oh, yeah, Michael Phelps. He won 23 gold medals or something like that, you know, in the last four Olympic games. You know, Michael Phelps, we read the story and we think, man, the guy's pretty good, you know. Uh, you know, he could probably beat me even in, in a swimming race or something. Uh, I don't think he could beat me in a floating race because I've got more ballast than, than he does to be able to, to hold on there. But he could beat me uh, in, in swimming. But do you know the story of Michael Phelps? They've hit on it a little bit at the Olympics. Uh, but you can go to a lot of websites and get the entire ESPN interview with Michael Phelps. After the 2012 Olympics, he said he was addicted to drugs and alcohol. He was at the lowest point of his life. He wanted to commit suicide, said he had no reason to live. Every relationship that he had with his girlfriend, with his father, everything was torn apart. And he said he contemplated suicide for two straight weeks, thinking, how am I going to kill myself? When Ray Rice, who played for the Baltimore Ravens and a good friend of his, called him up and said, man, you've got to get yourself straight. And Ray Rice started telling him about God and witnessing to him. He went over to his house, grabbed him, took him to rehab forcibly. When he checked into rehab, Michael Phelps didn't have anything, didn't take a bag, didn't take clothes. The only thing he had was one book that Ray Rice gave him, The Purpose Driven Life. And here's a picture of Michael Phelps holding that book, The Purpose Driven Life. He began to read that book, and he called Rice up, and he said, Man, this is what I've been looking for my whole life, that my life isn't an accident, that I'm here on purpose, that God loves me, that there's more in store for me than just swimming or accolades like that. And uh, he said, It's something different. He said, but then I read something in here that talked about the fact that God has redeemed and reconciled me and that I need to reconcile with other people. The first thing he did when he left rehab is that he reconciled with his father all over again. He asked his girlfriend, who he was estranged from, to marry him, and his life began to be put back together. Nobody ever thought Michael Phelps was going to win any gold medals, but he's been the star of this Olympic game. Anybody see the interview last night? What's the first thing he started talking about? Ray Rice, and, and, uh, and, and that he knew he was watching uh, and the encouragement that he had been. 
Here is somebody who had nothing because he was trying to do it by performance base. And he had won all of those gold medals, and the best it did for him was that he wanted to commit suicide. If you watch the interview with Michael Phelps last night, remember what he said? No, this is my last Olympics because there's more to life than swimming. He's finally figured it all out. God has redeemed us, made us his children, and made us heirs of his kingdom. Well, our scripture goes on in verses 8 through 11, and Paul says, If this has happened to you, if you've been redeemed, made God's child, and an heir of his kingdom, why would you want to go back to the mud and the mire and the slavery in which you once lived? Look at verse 8. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were slaves to those who were by nature were not gods at all. So we were following all these things we were trying to do to make us right with God. So we knew that didn't work. That was our old way of life. But now that you know God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn back to those weak and miserable principles to be enslaved all over again? He says, why are you now trying to earn God's favor by being good when you had to be saved from that in the first place? He calls it weak and miserable principles. Why is it a weak principle? It's a weak principle because if you're being made right by trying to follow the law, it's not going to work. You're going to keep messing up. So that's pretty weak. But not only that, it's miserable. Why is it miserable? Because all you're doing is this constant cycle of, of, of guilt and shame and trying all over again. And it's weak and it's miserable. He tells them you're observing special days, months, seasons, years. I fear that I have wasted my efforts on you. So here he is trying to hit them and get them to understand where they are. Why would anybody go back to something like that that they've just been freed from? And that's the question that we have today. Why do people get saved by grace and then try to live by following the law and go back to the weak and miserable thing that they were just saved from in the first place? Again, the law shows us right and wrong. It can't make us right and wrong. You know, a lot of people, though, who are in abusive relationships return to those relationships the other time over and over again. We're told that someone in an abusive relationship will return to that relationship seven times before they finally get out of it. Uh, remember the uh, Rihanna and Chris Brown got a picture of Rihanna right here. Her and Chris Brown got into a pretty big argument. He beat her up. Uh, she literally had to go to the emergency room. Three days later, she was back with Chris Brown again. Now, she eventually broke it off. But why would you go back to somebody who three days earlier had done that to you? But there, there's a lack of self-esteem. There, there's, there's, there's all these things that are going on. And it takes seven times for somebody to leave an abusive relationship. What we don't understand is that we've been saved from one of the greatest abuses of all. And that abuse that we've been saved from is that cycle of always trying to be good and never measuring up. We've been set free from that. So why would you want to return to it again? Now, what Paul does in the next section in verses 12 through 20 is that he talks about a very personal relationship that he has with the Galatians. And he says, look at what I, I want for you and look at what the people who are opposing me want. And let's talk about this relationship. And then he talks about it in terms of grace and the law. But let's see what he says in verse 12. I plead with you, brothers, become like me. Uh, you have done me no wrong. As you know, it was because of an illness I first preached the gospel to you. Even though my illness was a trial to you, you did not treat me with contempt or scorn. Instead, you welcomed me as if I were an angel of God, as if I were Christ himself. 
What has happened to your joy? I can testify that if you could have done so, you would have torn out your eyes and given them to me. So Paul begins to talk about how he got to Galatia in the first place. He said, what happened was I was on a missionary journey. I had no intention of stopping in your region at all, but then I got really sick. Apparently he had some kind of issue with his eyes. The scriptures kind of hit at the fact that Paul may have had an eye issue the, the rest of his life after that Damascus Road experience where he was struck blind. And so he's taken in by the Galatians. Uh, they, he preaches to them while he's there. Uh, a lot of people are converted. They do everything they can to love and care for him. There's such joy. They have this close relationship. He goes on in verse 16 and says, How have I now become your enemy by telling you the truth? What has happened to this close relationship that we have? So what Paul is saying is this. Look, our relationship was built on love and joy and caring for one another. That's how I feel about you. That's how you feel about me. All I want is your best. So if that's how we feel about one another, why are you not trusting me? Because look at the other people. Verse 7, 17. Those people are zealous to win you over, but not for good. What they want is to alienate you from me so that you may be zealous for them. It's fine to be zealous provided the purpose is good and to be so always and not just when I'm with you. My dear children, from whom I am again in the pains of childbirth, until Christ is born in you, how I wish I could be with you now and change my tone, but I'm perplexed about you. So what he says is this. Look, I don't understand. I don't understand why you're going away from joy and freedom to something that's tearing apart and leading you to bondage. And that's still the question we have today. Whenever you see a church, whenever you see individual Christians who are law-based, it will always tear apart. Because we will always find something uh, that, that will keep us from one another. We're talking about sticky faith with parenting. We're starting a class this week. How do you get kids' faith to stick? And one of the things we see is it's got to be a grace-based, not a law-based gospel. And when kids understand I'm loved unconditionally just because you love me, that, that's when it all begins to change. But when kids think it's performance-based, uh, the only way that you're going to love me is if I have to act a certain way and do certain things. That's when we start having problems. And so it's got to be a grace-based thing that we're doing with our kids. But think about churches. We are Westport Road, what kind of church? Baptist church. Because we're Baptist, we go to heaven and nobody else does, right? Amen, amen, yeah, yeah, yeah. Did you know being a Baptist doesn't get anybody to heaven? Seriously, who would have thought that? Being a Baptist doesn't get anybody to heaven. But we say we're Baptists. What does that mean? In the United States of America, let me tell you how many different Baptist denominations there are. I am Westport Road Baptist Church. There is the Alliance of Baptists, the American Baptist Convention, the Association of Welcoming and Affirming Baptists, as opposed to those who don't welcome and affirm. There is the Baptist Bible Fellowship International, the Baptist General Conference, the Baptist Missionary Alliance, the Cooperative Baptist Fellowship, the Continental Baptist Churches, the Free Will Baptist, the Full Gospel Baptist Church Fellowship, the Fundamental Baptist Fellowship Association, the General Association of Baptists, the General Six Principal Baptists, the Independent Baptists, the Institutional Missionary Baptists,
Baptist, the Interstate and Foreign Landmark Missionary Baptist, Landmark Baptist, Liberty Baptist, Macedonian Baptist, World Missions, Main Street Baptist, National Baptist, National Baptist Evangelical Soul Saving Assembly of God, the National Missionary Baptist, the National Primitive Baptist, the North American Baptist, the Old Regular Baptist, the Old Time Missionary Baptist, the Original Free Will Baptist, the Primitive Baptist, the Even More Primitive Baptist Universalist, the Progressive National Baptist, the Reformed Baptist, the Regular Baptist, the Roger Williams Baptist, the Separatist Baptist, the Separatist Baptists who were in Christ, the Seventh-day Baptist General Conference, the Southern Baptist Convention, the Southside Baptist Fellowship, the Sovereign Grace Baptist, the Two-Seed in the Spirit Predestination Baptist, the United American Free Will Baptist, the United Baptist, the Unregistered Baptist Fellowship, the World Baptist Fellowship, and the Worldwide New Testament Baptist Fellowship. Westport Road Baptist Church. What does that, why are there that many Baptist churches? Because somewhere on the line, something happened that said, we disagree with something a little bit more than you do, so we've got to be an entirely different people than you are. That is separation from what God wants is us to come together in joy and freedom in Christ. And that brings us to the last thing that we see in verses 21 through 31. We're supposed to live free as children of God and not in bondage as children of the world. Now, in verses 21 through 31, Paul talks about uh, Hagar and Sarah. And if you don't know the story, I'm going to explain it to you a little bit. Uh, It's from Genesis 16 through 21. Abraham had been told of God, you're going to be a great people. I'm going to raise you up. You're going to become a great nation, and the whole world's going to be blessed through you. Abraham had one problem, didn't have any kids. Uh, his wife and him had tried his entire life, his wife, Sarah, Sarah was barren. Abraham wasn't having any children. And so they begin to think, what are we going to do? God said that, that I'm going to be a great nation, but I don't have any kids. And so they tried to push God's plan. And so what Sarah said is, Hey, I have a very uh, attractive handmaiden by the name of Hagar. Why don't you sleep with her and have a child? And Abraham said, it sounds good to me. And, uh, you know, <laughs> we can at least try a few times, you know, and, and see, see what happens there. So, so they do. Uh, Hagar gets pregnant, has a child by the name of Ishmael. This was not God's intent. It was not God's will. And it wasn't God's promise. God told Abraham, you are going to have a child through Sarah. But Abraham tried through human effort to do what God had told him to do. And it didn't work out. So then Sarah shows up pregnant, unbelievably so. Not only is she barren, but now her and Abraham are both past the age of childbearing. And she has a child by the name of Isaac. So look down uh, just a few verses to verse 27. He's quoting Isaiah 54, 1 here. And he says, Be glad, O barren woman who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pains. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. Now that that weird scripture just says this. Look, the child of the promise, the child of the barren woman who's never conceived is going to have more children than the child of human effort. Because human effort will only take you so far. So Hagar had a child named Ishmael. Ishmael would have kids, they'd have kids, and you had a normal family line that went on. But when Isaac was born, Isaac became the child of the promise that God had given, and Isaac would become 
the father of all of those who believe in God throughout time. So the child of the barren woman would produce more than the child of human effort. Now what's any of this mean? What he's trying to say is this. Human effort will only get you so far and will have limited results. So if you're using the law to be good, it's only going to get you so far. Maybe you'll get yourself cleaned up. Maybe you'll become better than some other people. But it's never going to take you where you want to be, which is in a right relationship with God, because you're always going to come up short and fail. You might get better than other people, but you're going to come up short and fail. Benjamin Franklin one time said, I made a list of all of the things I was doing wrong in life and then dedicated myself to stopping all of them so I'd be a better person. He said, after a couple of months, I went through and checked and found out I was now doing nothing on that list. I was living life the way that I wanted to. And I became so proud that my pride became worse than all of the things I just marked off the list. So there was never quite getting where you wanted to be. So he sums up chapter 4 in verse 31. Therefore, brothers, do not be children of the slave woman. Be children of the free one. And so we are called to be free in Christ and not go back into bondage. So what does any of this mean today? It means that through Jesus, we now have a special relationship with God. He has redeemed us. He has made us God's child. And he has made us an heir of God's kingdom. Being good will do none of those things for you. Being good will always just lead you back to to that guilt cycle that you're starting all over again. If that's the way you're trying to be right before God. We need to live as free people, redeemed children of God. And as we close, think about this. Think of the difference in the two. If you are living a life where you are redeemed and a child of God and an heir of God's kingdom, you get up every morning with this excitement and this joy. Man, I'm a child of God. I'm forgiven. I'm an heir of God's kingdom. I can go out and live a positive life, and my life is all about loving and caring and helping other people. Or you can get up every morning and say, no, I've got to be good enough to earn God's favor. I've got to try hard enough and try to fight all of these bad things I'm doing. And my whole day, my life is built around trying not to do anything bad instead of trying to do things that are good. And that's the difference between a life of slavery and a life of freedom. Now, here's a little side note. Everything that I have said the last four weeks does not matter and does not apply if you do not come the next two weeks. Okay? Because the next two weeks, Paul says this. Okay, you're called to be free. What does it mean to live a free life? It doesn't mean you can go out and do anything you want. Okay? It's not what it means at all. So he's going to now give you what a free life is. And I give you a little sample of that. Chapter 5, verse 1. It's for freedom Christ has set us free What's that mean? He's not going to tell you what it means. So if you don't come the next two weeks, first four weeks don't apply. Okay? So, so that's just it. All right? So, you, so now you know uh, how that is. I was reading a really interesting story in the paper this week. There's a, a young lady who was getting married. Her name is Jenny Stepion. Her dad was murdered in 2006. He was an organ donor. And uh, his heart was given to a man who'd been on a transplant list for seven years. When she was getting married, she called this, she found out who got the heart, called the man up randomly and said, 
will you come to the wedding and walk me down the aisle? Because if you walk me down the aisle, I'll feel like my father is walking me down the aisle because you literally have his heart. And I want to show you a picture here. It's at the rehearsal, first time they've met. When you see that picture, this is what you feel. You feel here is someone who has now got an unbelievable emotion inside of her. This is my father's heart. In a sense, my father is going to be walking down the aisle with me. That's not going to be a normal wedding any longer. Everything has been raised. There's a different emotion, a different joy, a different understanding of life. And that's what we're trying to be told in the book of Galatians. God has so much more for us than the routine. He has a life of freedom, a life of joy, a life of caring and being loved. And that's so much greater than the weak and miserable principles that we have already overcome. Let's have a prayer. Father, thank you that you love us so very, very much. Our prayer now as we go out is that we would live as free, redeemed children of yours that are heirs of your kingdom. In Jesus' name, amen. moment I see you shaking your head in distance I can read the disappointment written all over your face here comes those whispers in my ear saying who do you think you are it's like you're on your own this grace could never reach
enjoyed today's lesson and that it spoke to you. If you have prayer needs or want more information about us, we invite you to stop by our website, mywrbc.org, and click on contact. Please use the word podcast in the subject line. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Keyword, mywrbc. At Westport Road Baptist Church, we love God and love people. Please join us for Sunday morning service at either 9.30 a.m. or 11 a.m. We also have Sunday school for all ages during both service times. Thanks again for listening and join us next week for another message from God's Word.